Movina Sports, Mardano's on this uh, Thursday. I, uh, in promoting our next guest early in the show, I asked Kyle and the audience a question about if you're a 15-year-old, not that many 15-year-olds listen to this show, but parents do, um, what do they know about Michael Jordan? And the further we get removed of Michael the basketball player, you kind of wonder. It's like John Madden. Ask a 15-year-old today. They have no idea who John Madden uh, was. Ross Anderson is the uh, excellent writer uh, at The Atlantic who wrote a really good piece about the value of the Jordan brand and uh, accepted an invitation to come on and chat about uh, his piece. Ross, welcome. Good morning. How are you? Mark, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, that question about a 15-year-old, what does a 15-year-old today you think know about Michael Jordan? It's a great question. Um, You know, I I think that (laughs) my sense is that he's sort of a legend. You know, he's sort of the way that maybe you and I uh, remember hearing about Mickey Mantle when we were younger, right? Like, there was a kind of a halo, an aura around his name, but, like, I couldn't call to memory specific images of him. And I think something like that has become true of Jordan, except that his fashion brand has persisted as such a force in the culture with sort of ups and downs that we can talk about. But, you know, I I do want to say that Jordan's highlights are still, I think, in, in, you know, pretty heavy circulation on social media. Like, you know, I think the kids run into Jordan stuff on TikTok, but that's not the same as the experience of Jordan that you or I have. Um, Share, uh, and I encourage people to go to theathletic.com and see the piece, but, but who's Tim Hallam? And why is he connected to uh, Jordan sneakers in a pretty famous way? Yeah, Tim Hallam is, uh, well, a far-seeing man, uh, first of all. So he was a, a communications executive uh, for the Chicago Bulls for quite a long time. In fact, I think he, he only retired just this last year. But in 1991, as the uh, Bulls were preparing to play the Lakers in their first finals, he approached Jordan and said, hey, you know, if we win, uh, which they were expected to do, uh, could I have one of your shoes? And Jordan, um, in sort of, I guess, a, a moment of rare generosity, um, said, uh, sure. And, uh, you know, he made good after the game, uh, when they, after they won in game five. And so then, um, the next year he did it again. And in fact, Jordan, who's so superstitious, ended up making a ritual out of it. So every single time the Bulls, all six titles that the Bulls won, um, there's these kind of great photos actually of Jordan and each of the celebrations only wearing one shoe. And that's because he'd given one to Hallam. And now Hallam's collection, which he sold to a private collector some years ago, but the identities have not been revealed. But that collection of all six shoes that Jordan wore in the clinching games of his championships uh, is going up for uh, sale at Sotheby's in a public auction on February 2nd. But as you write, what one thought the market may have been, and maybe this isn't just about the value of the Jordan brand, but just the collectibles industry, perhaps not for the price that people had anticipated it going for. Yeah, that's right. And and these shoes actually went up for private sale by Sotheby's uh, last year, and they, they did a bit of a tour, you know, like they Sotheby's sent them to Dubai. You know, basketball has become such a, a globally um, beloved sport, um, partly because it's so easy to understand visually, right, relative to other games. And, um, you know, went to Hong Kong, went to Singapore, went to Dubai, did this grand tour hoping to kind of drum up business. And this is really on the heels of, you know, it was a huge memorabilia boom during the pandemic. And so I think they, you know, there was 
someone told the Wall Street Journal they were going to get at least $20 million and maybe $100 million for this collection. And, and, you know, somewhat plausibly, it is kind of an extraordinary collection, those six shoes. Uh, but here they are back on the block for 7 to $10 million, um, in early February. So something was softer in the market than they had expected. You wrote in your piece, you make reference to the movie Air, and for those that uh, had seen it or, or not, it, it really is a story about Nike and Jordan shoes, not so much about Michael Jordan, but I want uh, to go back. So in, in 85 is when Jordan 1s are released. What's the market then? Are a lot of NBA players with a sneaker deal, or was that rare, pun in rare air, um, but how common was it for players to have their own sneaker? Yeah, and so, well, it, it's an interesting question because there, there had been a signature shoe before. So I think the first one, if I recall correctly, was actually Walt Frazier mm-hmm. uh, of the Knicks, who had a shoe. Puma made him a shoe. And Puma Clydes, man. Puma there Clydes. You, you wore the blue Puma <laughs> Clydes that your mom hated because the blue faded on your white socks. Amazing reference. <laughs> like, it's come to the right place. Um, uh, and, you know, as you know, Clyde sort of famously stylish guy, right? You know, showing up for games in the in the fur coat and all that stuff. So he he had the Puma sneaker, um, but it was I don't think that was it was not a, a, a kind of mainstream sell up product, right? Like it was fairly niche among kind of um, basketball fans or casual gear or whatever it may be. And then although you definitely had endorsements, you know, famously uh, Dr. J, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson were all at Converse um, in the early 1980s, but they were all kind of wearing the same shoe, right? It was like, you know, maybe a little slightly different color trim. And um, the the Air Jordan was just a brand new thing. You know, there, that revolutionary is the market. Really, I mean, the way that one of the, the guys has written about this at book length, Russ Bankston, he used to be the editor-in-chief of Slam Magazine, um, great guy. Uh, the way he explained it to me is just like, it, it, it's not so much that Jordan revolutionized the signature shoe market. He kind of created it, you know, with the Jordan 1, which sold, you know, something like $126 million worth of shoes in just its first year, even though it didn't, it didn't get out until like, I think, somewhat midway through the season. Um, and now it is, and I, you know, I can't, Mark, I don't know your sneaker preferences, but it is a beautiful shoe, right? It's a singularly beautiful shoe. And I thought the film did a really good job of, of kind of dramatizing that. You know, you kind of get the, <gasps> when it, when they first reveal it, uh, which is why I think it has had so much staying power. Um, I, I'm name dropping a bit, but walk with me here for a second. When Michael Jordan's mm-hmm. son Marcus played at UCF, and I call UCF uh, 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 football, basketball, and baseball, um, you know, obviously a little bit of background with Marcus, but he he at first was talking about what stock X meant to the brand, and, and, and you make reference in your piece about stock X and goat. For those that don't know, maybe you can give a brief explanation. But how did that kind of reincarnate or, or reinvent um, the popularity of uh, Jordans? Yeah, so you know, after Jordan retires, right, like in the um, you know the final time from uh, the Washington Wizards very sad franchise here in D.C. where I live. Um, he, uh, you know, he kept releasing signature shoes. And, you know, partly because Jordan Starr had dimmed, he's no longer in the league. Uh, fans' memories of him are sort of, of the old kind of Washington Wizards Jordan and not the great Bulls Jordan. The brand was really diminished. And, and frankly, the shoes, the shoes were ugly. And they were ugly. I think maybe there wasn't as much attention being paid to them in-house at Nike. But also there's been a shift in basketball shoes where they're using a lot more technical material. So you don't have that kind of sweet spot of the Jordan one where they're kind of like at this perfect blending moment between casual gear 
and really hyper-technical basketball shoes. Anyway, um, as a consequence, the sort of the new Jordan signature shoes start to kind of fade in popularity. And there's some retro business. And of course, especially among black Americans, there had been this really long trend of collectors um, really amassing these huge collections of retro Jordans. Those were like the most coveted um, of all kind of retro basketball shoes. However, the market for them was really fragmented and informal. It was like, you know, these jokers on eBay, or maybe you go to a sneaker shoe show or whatever it may be. StockX and Goat, which are these like shoe-specific um, online marketplaces that also verify the shoes and their authenticity, they really formalized that market, which gave it a huge boost, um, really just in time for the pandemic, which when which is when you saw this big spike in sports memorabilia and really across all collectibles while people were kind of sitting at home in their boxers, you know, waiting for packages. You're right that, you know, one thing that, that, that Jordans did do that, that I do think is still a big part of the industry today, and I'm not a sneakerhead, but the casual sneaker where, where many basketball players have or had a sneaker that was strictly used for playground use, and yet the Jordan brand kind of did shift to become a casual shoe, while today you've got so many choices out there of an Allbirds or Cole Hans or things like that, but he kind of led that branded about accepting the sneakers as casual wear, right? Yeah. Not only did he lead it, but he sort of started and finished it, right? I mean, the, there have been lots of popular basketball shoes post-Jordan, um, you know, the whether it's, you know, the Penny Hardaways um, or, you know, the, the Barkley Air Maxes onto the LeBrons and the Durants and certainly the Kobe Bryants. And those have been big sellers, Kyrie's. Uh, but they haven't really taken off um, as casual shoes. And, and even, I mean, we haven't even really seen them take off huge as retro releases, although that's starting to change as these players age. And um, as I mentioned in the piece, Kobe Bryant's death really has created quite a, a surge in interest in his older model shoes. But none of those shoes all are really technical in appearance. I mean, you've seen them. They're kind of they look like performance gear. They don't look like something that would be that you could wear to a presidential inauguration where, you know, we've seen, um, we've seen Jordan ones <laughs> or, you know, people have worn them with tuxedos. So he, I, I think part of that is just changing shoe fashions, but there's no question that part of that is also just the kind of singular cool that Jordan embodied in his prime. Uh, Michael still makes good money off of uh, the Jordan brand. So I'm just kind of curious that, the, the the president future of uh, Jumpman um, and the Jordan brand uh, is what in the next 5, 10, 20 years? Uh, great question. Um, you know, I the people I talk to certainly think that yeah, Nike and, and Jordan brand cannot continue to just sort of um, rely on these same old retro models over and over. I mean, there will always be demand for the kind of elegant Jordan 1s, the Jordan 3s, the Jordan 4s, certainly the 11s. That's going to persist, and they'll be able to milk that cow for a while, but not to the degree they have in the last few years. And as young people's perceptions, like we were talking about at the top, uh, continue to drift away from Jordan the basketball player and into Jordan the brand, that means that it's going to be more subject to the laws of fashion, which means the Jordan brand is going to have to put out new shoes that people actually like. And that is going to be difficult 
you know, they've really almost, they've really, they've released almost every colorway kind of imaginable on the really popular Jordans 1s, 3s, and 4s. And so at this point, they've got to put out a new shoe that really captures young people's imaginations, either on the basketball court or casually. And then that is the kind of thing that I think will keep them creatively in play. Otherwise, I see this as being something that sort of dwindles over time. It'll be interesting um, to, to, to see, because I think you're probably right. It, it, it's hard to keep churning out that stuff as the generation uh, gets younger uh, and younger. Uh, Ross Anderson is on X or Twitter at Anderson. That's uh, uh, A-N-D-E-R-S-E-N. And his piece is at uh, uh, The Athletic, which you can also get to by going to theathletic.com. Ross, thanks. Enjoy it. Appreciate it very much. Mark, thanks so much. Uh, we'll come on back. We've got a history lesson, football theme today, and we'll do that next. 